Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Each offering was significant in a different way. The burnt offering was significant because the entire offering is consumed. So when there's a burnt offering, they would take the animal, whatever's being sacrificed, they would put it on the altar and they would put the wood there and everything on it was going to be burnt up. There's some sacrifices where you would cook some of it, you can eat some of it, some of it was offered to the Lord, but the burnt offering was this total dedication. God, this entire thing, I'm giving it to you. Today, Pastor Bill begins a new study in the book of Leviticus, the third book of the Bible. While many people wonder if these rules and regulations are still important, Pastor Bill is going to share the significance this book still holds and he'll be giving you an overall theme to hang on to throughout this study. God wants you to be holy. His ways may not make complete sense to you, but it's what he's asking. He wants you to give your whole self to him. Giving your whole heart to God is a sacrifice, but is worthwhile. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter one for today's edition of A Transforming Word. The word Leviticus, it means things that pertain to the Levites. Um, so the word Leviticus, uh, which is the book, it means things that pertain to the Levites. Um, this book is going to give some instruction to, you know, they just finished making the tabernacle and setting that up in the, the end of Exodus. And now there's instruction being given to those that are going to minister in the tabernacle in this way. And so the book of Leviticus, most of us know the first five books of the Bible are known as some people call it the law of Moses. Some people call it the Pentateuch. Some people call it the Torah. The Jews refer to it as the Torah. This is within those first five books. Moses is the author. Not really something that can be disputed, but for anybody that wants um, just some proof text that how we know Moses is the author of the book of Leviticus. Paul, speaking of quoting from Leviticus in Romans 10.5, says that Moses wrote it. And then Jesus, uh, speak quoting it in Mark 1.44, says that Moses wrote it. So for anybody that needs that, it's written by Moses for sure. So we got Jesus and Paul. There's some other references, but that's enough to satisfy me. The tribe of Levi were the tribe that God had given the responsibility to lead Israel in the worship of God. They're going to be the ones that lead in the sacrifices, leading the worship of God in this way. And so this book has been written for them to give them instructions how to carry out God's will how to be able to instruct others in what God desires. The timeline of this book is interesting. It could seem like it was written over years, but if you take the end of Exodus and you got all Leviticus and you go to Numbers 10, that space is about 30 days, about a month. So as we go through this book, this instruction is being given out. It's a, it's a relatively short period of time. It's not something that was given out over a long period of time from the end of Exodus to Numbers 10 Everything in between Leviticus is about a month, about 30 days is the time that these things were written in. And so, again, like at the end of Exodus, they had finished building the tabernacle. Now the instructions are being given. And then when we come to Numbers 10, that's when Israel finally moves out for the first time. They, As this whole book is written, they haven't moved not once. One of the books I was reading on the book of Leviticus, a guy named Bonar, he's the one that had the quote that no other book contains more of the very words of God than Leviticus. And so in this book, you have a lot of God himself speaking and directing and giving instruction. And we'll see as we get into chapter one, the very first thing that God 
speaks to them about the first instruction he gives them is on how to worship him. He's going to prescribe to them the way in which he wants them to come and worship um, and sacrifice and offer things to him. The theme of the book of Leviticus is holiness. Some people like that. Some people don't. Uh, how many of you guys have been to a holiness church? So when we think of holiness, some people think of that. We think of, you know, holiness church. You know, no women, no makeup, pants, no pants. You know, the Shiite suit and skirts to your ankles and everything else. It'd be interesting as you go to Leviticus and we learn about real holiness, how unsuperficial it is and how to the heart God gets with it. One of the things I was reading was said that the Jews would teach Leviticus to children. The first book that they would teach the children was Leviticus. And I thought that's strange because I know grown folk that don't want to go to Leviticus. So why is that? And the thinking of the idea behind it was that they want to the pure children. um, They want them to be taught about purity and they wanted them as as they're young, as they're pure. They wanted them to be taught early about purity. Also, for a little kid growing up in this area, they wouldn't understand how come daddy was killing the lamb and how come the ox was getting sacrificed. So it also was going to help them understand the things that they would be seeing in their culture in, in the way of sacrifice in an ongoing way. But that was something that they would do with the kids. Leviticus is quoted over 100 times in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, a lot of times there's books in the Old Testament that are referred to and quoted. Leviticus is quoted over 100 times. So it is important that we understand this book. Um, if, if you study the book of Hebrews and don't have any understanding of Leviticus, you won't understand it as well as you would if you had a foundation, if you understood what God had done and what he had taught and what he had laid out in the way of shadows in Leviticus. So it helps us have a fuller understanding of the whole word of God. So we're going to go ahead and jump in. Everybody look at Leviticus chapter one, verse one. And it says, now, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd and of the flock. And so that was kind of interesting to me. The very first instruction God gives them is on bringing an offering. Um, The very first thing they just are established, the tabernacle set up, the sacrificial system is things are getting ready to be put into motion. The Levites are being instructed on what to instruct the people to do. And the first thing God says, hey, Moses, he spoke to him from the tabernacle. He says, speak to the children of Israel and tell them when one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. And so. Why is this the first thing spoken of? Why is this brought forth? The first, what we're going to learn about in chapter one is burnt offerings. And I titled the chapter Total Dedication. And I guess I should explain right up front is each offering was significant in a different way. The burnt offering was significant because the entire offering is consumed. So when there's a burnt offering, they would take the animal, whatever's being sacrificed, they would put it on the altar and they would put the wood there and everything on it was going to be burnt up. There's some sacrifices where you would cook some of it. You could eat some of it. Some of it was offered to the Lord. But the burnt offering was this total dedication. God, this entire thing, I'm giving it to you. And in the same way that they're going to be called upon by God to offer this burnt offering to the Lord, total dedication. The picture is for you and I that we would give ourselves to the Lord with total dedication, that that we would give all of us to the Lord, that there wouldn't be anything that we're holding back from God, but that God have all of me, my entire life, 
everything that I am, God. I just I lay it before you. Um, when the burnt offering was done being offered, there was nothing left but ashes. Um, everything was gone. And we're going to see it in three different times in this chapter that God enjoyed it. He said that there was a sweet smelling aroma that would come from this. And so it would be placed on the brazen altar. It would be completely burnt up. And again, it represents for you and I a person's total dedication to the Lord. And so, first of all, I guess as the offering, I guess as for the people, they could look at it and say, as this offering is Lord, so am I. Totally surrendered, totally dedicated, totally set apart for you. In the New Testament, um, if you're writing notes, a couple of verses you could write down. You can write down James 1.1. When Paul opens up the book of James and he says, Paul, a bond servant or a bond slave of Jesus Christ. It's a similar idea. Paul is saying, if I could give you a definition for a bond servant or a bond slave, it's one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another, his will altogether consumed in the will of another. So once again, it's, it's one who's in a permanent relationship of servitude to another, his will altogether consumed in the will of another. In other words, your will, your plan, your agenda for your life is gone. You have completely submitted yourself to Christ. And so the New Testament picture is a little better because instead of taking the sacrifice that was living and putting on an altar and burning it up, we become a living sacrifice. God, I'm living, but I'm submitting myself to you. Do whatever you want with my life. I am not exercising my will. I'm completely surrendered. I'm totally dedicated to you, God. You do with me what you want. And so that's the ideal of a bond servant or a bond slave. It's a willful surrender of your life, of your will to the Lord. God, do with me whatever you want. And so I would challenge all of us to consider, could we say before the Lord, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I'm in a permanent relationship of servitude to Christ. My will is altogether consumed in the will of God. And I just, God just has his way in my life. I'm just letting God have his way. He just does whatever he wants with me, in me, through me. If you're writing notes, you can write down Galatians 2.20. Paul, speaking in Galatians, said this, Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so once again, in the New Testament, the picture we get is, there's total dedication, but it's a person that's living. God wants to take you. He wants you to be alive to him and dead to yourself. And so in Galatians, Paul said, look, me, my will, my agenda, my flesh was crucified with Christ. I'm still living, but it's not me. It's Christ that lives through me. And now the life that I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who gave himself for me. And so, again, there's that total dedication. But again, we're not we're not offering ourselves on an altar to be burned. We're giving our living selves, our living, our life to the Lord. And the last one. It's Romans 12, 1, where Paul says again, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, he says, which is your reasonable service. Present yourself to God a living sacrifice. That God wants you living. He wants you to be a living. The difference between a dead sacrifice is dead. It's gone. He's, you're going to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is it's your reasonable service. So even if you succeed and you're a living sacrifice, you can't boast. It's not a big deal. God said that's your reasonable act of worship, reasonable service for all that he's done for you and all he's done for me. We're going to see as we move on that in the way he prescribes them to bring the sacrifice or bring the offering, there's a picture of 
Christ's sacrifice for us. And so I got to point this out at the end of verse two. He says, when any of you brings your offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock and of the herd and of the flock. They weren't to bring to God a wild animal. So you had a flock of animals at home. You had oxen, sheep, whatever else you had at home. You weren't supposed to, when it was time to sacrifice to God, you weren't supposed to go out in the street and grab you some random, you know, I, I wrestled me up, you know, some lamb I caught in the street or something like that and offer that to God. God was prescribing to them that you're going to bring me, it's going to be one of your own herd. You're going to offer to me something that is yours. And I believe there's a reason for that. First of all, in, in Psalms 50, God says that everything in the wild belongs to him. He says the cattle on a thousand hill, it's all mine. That's in Psalms 50 verses 10 and 11. And so God says, look, the things that are just out there, the cattle on a thousand hill, the wild animals, those are mine already. When we bring, when they were to bring this sacrifice to God, it was to cost them something. It was going to be one of their own animals. Um, and you're going to see as we move forward, they were going to have to kill it. And I believe there's a reason for all that. They were going to have to lay their hand on it. They were going to have to kill it. They were going to have to, to send it forth and provide it. And, and it was going to be cut up and everything else. And so God said, you, you're going to bring one from your own herd, your own flock. And I do believe that it's important to God that in our worship, sometimes people are looking for the easiest way of worship. I want to worship God in a way that costs me nothing. I don't want to sacrifice anything. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be, I don't want there to be anything that, that's not comfortable for me. I don't want to serve God or worship God in that way. But what we see prescribed here is that God says, you're going to worship me and it's going to cost you something and it's going to impact you and it's going to be uncomfortable. It's got to be one of your own herd. And so we'll go through it, but I want you to just think about it, that you're one of these people and you got animals and you raise them and when your cow is giving babies, you're there, you're catching them. You, you may not be attached, but there's some kind of, this is, these animals are on our farm. I don't know if they named these animals. I don't know how long they kept them. But when the time would come to offer it up, this is a free will. This is something they would have to decide, okay, I'm going to bring this and offer it to the Lord. It's what he wants. And they would pick one of their own. How do the kids handle that? You know, mom and dad may get it, but little Jimmy and little Johnny and Susie, Susie, you know, how is this impacting them? Dad, where are you taking her? Where you taking, well, it wouldn't be a her, it'd be a him. Where are you taking my lamb? Where are you taking the cow? Where are you taking it? We're going to offer it to the Lord, honey. We're going to sacrifice it to God. We're, I'm sure they wouldn't be as graphic as they, we're going to slit its neck at an artery so it bleeds out and the warm blood's going to run over our hands and we're going to skin it and take the skin off and it's going to be cut into chunks and laid on the altar and offered up to God. Every single bit of him is going to be offered up. And I'm looking and saying, why does God want that? And again, one thing, it cost them something. If you're writing notes, you can write down 2 Samuel 24, verse 24. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, you guys may remember the story, but there had been a plague in Israel and David was going to offer sacrifice for it. And God had told him to, where to go and to the threshing floor. And he went and the guy said, because it was David, he said, look, I'll just give you everything. And David said, no, 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 I got to pay for it. And David said, I, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Why? Because it won't be worshipped in. If I offer to God, if I give to God in a way that doesn't cost me anything, it's not worship. Worship costs you something. And so we have to be careful in our 21st century version of Christianity to always be looking for a version of worship or a version of service to the Lord that's, that doesn't cost me something. Um, where you know, and, and some people have turned it all around where it's all about you. I don't know if you guys saw the, the clip that went viral on the internet, but um, there was a pretty popular pastor's wife and she stood up in front of a congregation and told the people that she said these words, 
She says, when you worship, you don't do it for God. You do it for you. She was basically saying, when you worship, it's for you, not for God. I listened to that and I thought, that's the opposite of, I mean, the, the very word of, to bow down and kiss. I mean, it's, it's offering up, it's giving worth to, to the Lord. She turned that whole thing around and said, you know, when you come here to worship, it's not for God. This is for you. You do this for yourself. And she, I mean, she even took something as intimate as worship of God and turned it into something that's about you. That's the world that we live in right now. And those are the kind of things that are happening. But as you look at it in the word, I'm looking at this right here. What part of killing my calf is for me? What part of bleeding it out is for me? What part of chopping it into chunks is for This is all for you, Lord. Total dedication. This is, this is what you want, and I'm only doing it for you. And it costs me. That we'll go down in just a minute. We'll, let's look at verse 3. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. And... In verse three, I just listed out a few things where I saw just a relation or a parallel between what they were called to do and what Christ did for us. First of all, they were going to offer it of their own herd. It was going to cost them something. I'm reminded that God gave his only begotten son. God offered a sacrifice for you and I, and it cost everything. His only begotten son, he offered that up for you. And so God is calling them, hey, you're going to take one of your herd and you're going to offer it up. It's going to cost you something. It's going to be of value. And just so you know, in that culture, if you took an ox, and you offered, it'd be like taking your vehicle and saying, I'm going to offer this to the Lord. I, it was not a cheap thing. It wasn't like a, a, the work that those animals would do, the money that they would bring in, what it would supply for a, a family in that time. It was, a, it was a costly thing. Everybody couldn't afford to give one. But let's say that you were so blessed that you could afford to give one. That was a, quite a big thing to give. And so you'll see in the chapter that God, he has different things. You can, you can give that. You can give a, this. And if you're really broke, Get a turtle dove or a pigeon, but you're going to offer something to the Lord. So everybody can give something. But turtle dove or a pigeon was, you know, that was what God did is made sure that your financial situation didn't prevent you from the opportunity to worship God. So he made an option that would fit for everybody. And so, again, it was of your own herd. It would cost you something. And again, in the same way that God offered up his only begotten son. Second, it had to be a male you were to offer up a male. And so I was looking into that. How come a male and not a female? My thought first was that, you know, if you breed animals, the female is the more important animal because she makes all the babies. She's the moneymaker. You know, um, if you breed dogs or something like that, the females are of more value. But the male carries genes. So if you're looking for certain, if you're looking at horses or something, where you want to, they want to follow. We want those characteristics in this animal. They get it from the men. They get it from the male animals. And so it would be the male animal. I just put it out there that Jesus was a male. And so I, I, I looked at it and wondered if it's just to keep that picture working. Um, I'm not sure. It had to be without blemish. You couldn't get your raggedy, one-eyed, you know, two-teeth goat and offer it up to, you know, this one's on his last leg anyway. Lord, this is the Lord's goat, you know, or whatever. You were to give your best. And it had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. And so... Whatever you were giving to God had to be perfect, had to be without blemish. We know that Jesus, who died for you and I, that he was the spotless lamb. He was without blemish. He never sinned. He never made a mistake. He was a perfect, spotless lamb of God, and he died for us. And so when they were to offer up this to the Lord, it was to be perfect. You can't bring God your messed up, you know, bring God your worst. I remember working at a church, and I would be amazed at what people would want to offer God. You know, there'd be an opportunity to give to help the homeless or to go to a mission field. 
and some people would give their best. They buy new stuff, nice stuff, bring it and bring it into the church office to go for the mission. Some people would be like, ooh, ooh, here's an opportunity to take that broke down couch where it is collapsed in the middle. It got critters inside of it. And this is my opportunity to dump this off on the church for charity. It's for the Lord. And I would just be amazed. You'd be sitting at the church office. We were there like as pastors, we had to tell people, no, nah, you got to take that back with you. We, we wouldn't give that to anybody in the name of the Lord. And, and you shouldn't either. You know, I don't even think goodwill want that bad will. This is we'll take that couch, you know, whatever. So it just be amazed at what people were willing to offer up. You're going to give that to the Lord. Is that how you do? And so we should all consider that, you know, they were to bring without blemish, bring your best. So as you walk through your flock and this is this is what it comes to, like it really deals with your heart. So you're walking through your flock and you're saying, we're going to pick one to offer the Lord. Some of that understands who the Lord is and loves the Lord. They're going to say, I want my best. I want that. This is the biggest, the most valuable. This I want to give this one to the Lord. Um, if your heart's not for the Lord, you won't do it like that. And I would challenge everybody here to think about, you know, Christmas is a time where people buy gifts. Everybody here, maybe not everybody, but maybe some of you guys understand what it feels like to there's somebody you really want to buy a gift for. I mean, you would spend everything you had to give them anything. that If you thought it would bless them, you would do it because you're just somebody that got you like that. They got some space in your heart where you just would. There's nothing you wouldn't give them. Some of you parents, that's your kids. Maybe it's your spouse or whatever. And then some of you got people that you're like, man, we got to get them something. Let's go to the 99 cent store and see what we can get where, you know, it'd be a big box. And we wrap it up. It'd, it'd look nice till they unwrap it. You know, y'all know what I'm saying. There are people that you're like, man, we got to do something. And then there are people that you're like, man, I would, I'm just trying to figure out what, how much can I do? What can I do for them? So just have, with that in your mind, consider how you do when it comes to sacrificing for the Lord. It reveals our own hearts. God, for you, anything, my best. In worship, I'm glad to be able to offer this to you. Maybe my time, maybe my service, maybe in my giving, but it's yours, Lord. But if it's something where it's like, oh, man, Lord, I'm going to give you this right here. Um, it reveals our own hearts. So they were to bring what they brought to the Lord. It was to be without blemish. Um, it was to be an act of worship to God. And uh, again, it would keep with the picture that Jesus was going to be offered up without blemish, without spot. The next thing, of his own free will. All these are in verse three. So it was going to be from your own herd, cost you something. It was going to be a male, cost you something like it cost God something. It's going to be a male like Jesus was a male. It was going to be without blemish like Jesus was without blemish. And it was going to be of his own free will. Of your, You're going to offer this of your own free will. It's not going to be something you're compelled to do, constrained to do. It's something you're going to do. You're going to be freely willing. God, I do this in worship of you. And we saw in the Garden of Gethsemane where Christ surrendered his will. He said, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, your will be done. If it's what you want, I'm willing. If it's what you desire, I'll do it. Free will. Something you have to be willing to do in obedience. But it's not worship if you do it against your will. And so that's something that's um, right now. I'm, I'm, um, it's been on my heart to reach out to our young people, you know, and just some of the kids. And I'm trying to get with them and reach out to them. And I'm I'm trying to do it in a way where I stay away from. I'm not I don't want to go through their parents. Because I realize with some of the kids, it's, it's like I want to see their true heart. Like, where are you really at? What's really on your mind? What do you really think? What do you really believe? And it's kind of a challenge sometimes with kids because so much of what they do, they do um, not from their heart, not out of sincerity because this is what my mom wants. This is what my dad wants. And that's something as a parent, that's something we have to try. I, I try to be cautious with that, with my kids. I want them to develop their own sense of 
Now I'm still a parent, so if you want to just do stupid, I'm gonna step in and say, no, you're gonna do this, you know? But there is a point where you're saying, man, I want you to develop your own thing with the Lord. That's all we have time for today on The Transforming Word. But we're so glad you joined us for today's teaching on Pastor Bill. As we continue learning from the book of Leviticus together, our prayer is that you begin to understand where you come from. Knowing your roots is so important to understanding your faith and the heart of God. You may think all the rules within the Bible are outdated or just plain don't make sense, but they were there for a reason. They weren't there to punish, but rather to guide. And who doesn't need a little guidance from time to time? We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Leviticus and encourage you to read on on your own. If you're interested in hearing additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you'll find them on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. If you live in or near the Inglewood area, we'd love to meet you and invite you to join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at CalvaryInglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person, and you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is CalvaryInglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and possibly hearing about Jesus for the first time? Please pray that their hearts will be open to the truth that changes lives. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us on A Transforming Word.